available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. AgriPod is brought to you by Smart Nutrition Map Plus MST. Soil is your most powerful machine. On this episode, Saskatchewan's food processing facility will be expanding. The Food Industry Development Centre will be adding to its operation to provide support to the province's value-added sector. Located in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's the province's only commercial incubation centre for food processing and helps assist food processors value-add their products and prepare them for market. Food Centre President Dan Prefontaine says the vision to be a leader in the agri-food industry is stronger than ever with the new expansion. Lysine, an amino acid, is a building block of protein. The human body cannot make lysine, so it must come from our diet, from meat, fish, dairy, eggs, and some plants like soy and other legumes. Researchers with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada are studying how increasing lysine content in sow rations during late gestation will stimulate the development of mammary tissue in an effort to increase the productivity of piglets. Dr. Chantelle Farmer will talk about her work and the role lysine may play in pork production. After the break, Dan Prefontaine. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The Food Centre in Saskatoon has just announced a major expansion. With me is Daniel Prefontaine, the president of the Food Centre, also a mechanic this week, I understand. Uh, Dan, we're going to talk about the announcement. You are going to give me some advice on how I can get my famous pickled asparagus on grocery store shelves. But first, let's start out by talking about the center itself and just give us some history. So the Saskatchewan Food Industry Development Center, or what we call the food center, was started back in 1998. And back then, the province of Saskatchewan was really looking at, you know, how are they going to expand the the value-added food industry? You know, we, we generally think about Saskatchewan as shipping out commodity crops, you know, wheat, uh, canola, um, you know, different types of uh, pulses. And, and so when the, when the people at the time were, were looking at the whole industry saying, you know, we need to have more value, we need to create more jobs, and, and we need to create uh, more opportunities for our crops to be used in food products. Uh, back in 1998, they, they, they thought, you know, one of the ways to do this is to create an uh, entity that can help companies to bring ideas to commercialization. And so that's sort of how the food center was born. Uh, you know, back in 2000, it originally started on the University of Saskatchewan campus. Um, they had built uh, a pilot plant that opened up in, in, the, in the summer of 2000. And in, at that time, we had, the plant had really been built around uh, specifically, especially livestock. So things like elk, deer, uh, llama, and, and so the idea was that, you know, one of the barriers to trade or one of the barriers to building a value-added industry is that you need to have these certifications in order to produce product and ship it outside of the province. And so the idea was that if we could build a place where people could come, produce their products, uh, develop new products, they would be able to manufacture the products in those facilities and ship them out of the province. 
And so it was really built initially around the livestock industry. Uh, but in quick order, we, we realized that Saskatchewan has a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people with great ideas. And so it very quickly morphed into a food center where we started to work with all types of food products. Um, we were working at that time, you know, the Saskatoon berry industry, the Haskap berry industry, sour cherries, they were growing. We were starting to see more on the, uh, you know, companies that were growing vegetables and, you know, trying to process vegetables. And so the food centers sort of turned from this, you know, initial idea of a meat plant to a food processing facility. That's interesting, Dan, because uh, we had Mark Sullivan on a previous episode of AgriPod. Uh, she's with Sweet Prairie Hascap, and she talked about her, about her great experience with the food center, uh, too. So there's $2.3 million coming from the Canadian Agricultural Partnership towards this expansion. What will be involved with that? You know, over the years, the food center has grown leaps and bounds. And, and I said earlier, you know, we had started on the university campus, a uh, 10,000 square foot facility. You know, back in around 2014, we realized that, you know, we are we are outgrowing it. The demand for uh, entrepreneurs and companies to expand is growing. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more activity in the value-added uh, processing side. And so we made a decision at the time with the board of directors to build a new facility or find another facility to to move into that would allow us to, to grow and expand. And so at that time, we had raised some funds and we built what we call now the Agri-Food Innovation Centre. And the Agri-Food Innovation Centre was a new facility that we opened in 2017. And basically what it was, we converted from our 10,000 square foot facility to a 53,000 square foot facility that we could not only have product development in and and some exciting new technology, which I'll talk about in a minute, but we could also create an incubator space. And the incubator space allowed companies to go from where they were processing in the original R&D facility to actually go into an incubator where they could set up their businesses and run their businesses out of there. And so that that opened up in 2017, and and it didn't take very long, and we were full. Um, so we initially opened up with three incubator spaces. We have a company doing, uh, we had a company doing meat, uh, we had another company doing fruit processing, and we have a company doing vegetable processing. Along with that, we had added in a new tech technology called Twin Screw Extrusion, which we had originally started in the facility back in 2006 on our original facility on campus. And we've seen the growth in that area expand dramatically. Um, we were, you know, I always like to kind of use the pun, we were, you know, we were working on plant-based foods uh, before plant-based foods were cool. Mm-hmm. And and so, so, so what the CAP announcement is about is that is that we've all grown our f- facility, and and what CAP has allowed us to do with their funding, uh, along with the provincial government, uh, is to expand our capability to you know, provide more incubator space. So what we did is is we've added on another twelve thousand two hundred square feet to be closer to 55,000 square feet of space now, another two incubator spaces, along with expanding our extrusion capabilities that we have in the facility. And of course, a little more storage, because as you grow, you need more places to store stuff. 
And so the dollars uh, that, that we've received, we've, we coupled them up with Western diversification. And between the, the two government organizations and some private investment from Federated Co-op, we were able to expand out this 12,200 square feet uh, on our facility and, and allow to bring in another three incubator clients. You started on the mead side and moved into the fruit and vegetable side of things. Tell us about some of the products that uh, perhaps we would see on our local store shelves. Now, I understand that you sign confidentiality agreements with individuals and companies that you work with, but can you give us a sample of what we might be seeing that the food centre was involved with? Yeah, for sure. Um, So... With the food center, we we work on such a wide variety of products. So our product development team, you know, we're doing new product development, uh, you know, from concept to commercialization. And so since our inception, uh, you know, back, we sort of used the the landmark of the year 2000 because that's kind of when our pilot plant opened up. You know, we've developed well over a thousand products and over 50% of those are in the market. So there's a really wide variety of products that we've actually launched in the market. Some of them are for entrepreneurial companies. Some of them are for very large uh, multinational companies. So some of the things you would see in the in in the store, for example, you know, if you go into stores like Federated Co-op, for example, you'll see products such as condiments, sauces, uh, uh, dips, um, condiments such as jams and jellies, all made with Saskatchewan-grown ingredients. Um, snack foods, on you know, on the snack food side, we've done a substantial amount of work in that area. And so there's multiple snacks like roasted chickpeas, uh, roasted field peas that are seasoned and bagged. Uh, those are some of the types of products that, that you'll see in the market that, that we've done. Uh, on the bar side, we've probably done well over 100 bars. Uh, and, and, and all of our products are in Saskatchewan. Uh, some of them are Canadian-wide and some are international. Um, but, but the one thing we've always done is we've always tried to incorporate Saskatchewan-grown ingredients. Uh, you know, we look at the amount of products we manufacture and develop that have pulses, uh, canola oil, uh, different grains, different cereals, specialty crops. So, so it's it, it's such a wide range. Uh, you know, products such as uh, meatless chicken strips, um, vegetarian burgers. Uh, these are all products that, that that we've used Saskatchewan ingredients in that are now in the marketplace today. In our pilot plant right now, we have about fifty different customers or clients that use their pilot that use our pilot plant to produce. Everything from bars to sauces to meat products to ethnic food products uh, that are jarred and packaged and processed and shipped out of our facility into retailers all over Western Canada. Dan, I have got a great pickled asparagus recipe. Mm. I have a dream. <laughs> how, do, how do I make this dream become a reality of having Alice's pickled asparagus on shelves in, in stores? Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to say, the, the great thing about this job is that it involves food. And, <laughs> and, and who doesn't love food, right? And, and so, you know, I always joke that I'm kind of the keeper of the gate. If you have a new idea, the first thing you do is you have to allow me to taste it. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll tell you if you should go forward. But, but, but the usual process is, is sort of along those lines. So we work, you know, we work with all sizes of companies. And so, for example, if you wanted to launch Alice's famous asparagus spears, 
what you would do is you would come to the food center or you would contact the food center. We have a little form we ask you to fill out to say, you know, hey, what's your product? You know, where do you think it's going to sell? Is your product good? Do all your friends like it? You know, have you looked? Is there competitive products in the market? And then, and then from that form, we work with you to say, you know, here's your product. Here's the things you're going to need to do the development work on it to make it so it's a commercially viable product. We check to make sure that things like the labeling is correct, the ingredients you're using um, all meet the, the regulatory requirements, and that the product being manufactured is safe. And so we will go through this process where we do development work to finalize the product. We do what we call a scale-up, which is basically taking that idea to a commercial level that allows us to manufacture the product at a volume that you can actually sell it at. And so once we have all of that done, you know, we help the companies to, you know, look at their label and say, hey, do we have all the proper information on here? Is the nutritional labeling correct? You know, how are you branding your product? How are you working with it? And and as part of that, we actually have a program within the food center called the Awesome Program. And, and this program is really geared toward assisting women entrepreneurs in developing and launching new food products or helping them to expand their business. It was started a couple of years ago and funded under Western Diversification. And, and we have about 200 people involved or 200 uh, individuals involved in, in, that, in that program. Um, and, and recently, actually, we just launched, uh, if you have a chance, you go to awesome.ca. Uh, we just launched a series of videos for, for women uh, entrepreneurs across the Prairie Provinces, and, and, and we presented awards to them for launching new products. There's nine videos there. They're fantastic. They're very heartwarming uh, just to see the kind of entrepreneurship we have going on in Western Canada. Anyway, sorry, that was a pitch for awesome, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I'll go back. Yeah, so, so then once we have that part, uh, you know, we'll help companies to source and look at ingredients uh, you know, source and look at packaging material, you know, try to, to help them figure out, you know, what's the best way to present this product. And then we move into our manufacturing. So they'll go to our pilot plant. Uh, initially, we start off people there and they can go in and on a daily rental basis, rent a space in the pilot plant and use our equipment to manufacture their product because our focus is on making sure people have the tools to be able to manufacture safe food but also have the ability to have time to go out and market their product. Because you can make the greatest product in the world, but if you don't sell it, you don't have much of a business. And so we really try to support the entrepreneurship through the manufacturing side so that when they bring that product out and they're going to present it to a major retailer, uh, you know, it's, it's there. It's a professional-looking product. It's ready to go. Now, not all of our clients go to major retails. We have a lot of clients that are in the farmer's market, very successful clients in the farmer's market. Um, you know, even with them, they still have to meet the regulatory requirements and ensure their product is safe and wholesome in order for uh, consumers to buy it and trust the, the product that they're buying. Plus, plus, we also do a lot of taste testing. So we, we always try to make the product as best as we possibly can. Well, that sounds like a good job for me, too. So if you're yeah. looking for anyone, please give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> We're always looking for taste testers. Well, and I'd be happy to bring a jar of my pickled asparagus for you, too, Dan. 
and I, I would happy to give you my comments back. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of funny because because the whole pickling industry. It's funny you brought up the, that one because the whole pickling industry. It, it's really a growing industry. I mean, people are looking at fermented foods, and you know, natural preservation is kind of sort of the trend that we're seeing now, and uh, and, and and it is. So if you're really interested, you're more than welcome to come. Well, thank you very much. It's, it sounds really exciting, and all of this happening happening in little old Saskatchewan. Little old Saskatoon, yeah. It's a, it's amazing when people uh, we have global clients, and when they come here, they're always taken back by how our community works together, how we partner, and and because it's not just a food center; it's sort of the community we work with, and so we've had very large companies come and working with small companies uh, to develop new ideas and new pr- products and and people you, you know we're kind of i always like to say saskatchewan is one of the best kept secrets they're they're just amazed at you know the beautiful landscape uh, well this is when you bring them in the summer they're really amazed uh you know at the beautiful landscape and and that just how friendly people are in the province and and how entrepreneurial we are dan it's been great talking to you and uh some exciting days ahead for the food center Thank you very much. I appreciate having this time with you. And, and it, like I said, you know, if you decide to get out of radio and you want to go into, into spirit asparagus. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I give that careful consideration. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Good. Thanks so much, Dan. You take care. Thank you. Dan Prefontaine is the president of the Saskatchewan Food Industry Development Centre. After the break, Dr. Chantal Farmer will explain how an amino acid that's important in humans could also play an important role in pig production. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Chantel Farmer is a research scientist in sow lactation biology with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada based in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Chantel, why has sow milk production become such an important discussion in the productivity of pigs? Well, that's a great question. In fact, Sow milk yield has always been important because the sow is limiting the amount of milk that the piglet is ingesting. So if a piglet is receiving artificial milk on top of the milk produced by its own mother, it will grow more. So the growth capacity of the piglet is greater than what he's doing or she's doing at the little piglet depending on the amount of milk that the mother is producing. So if the sow would produce more milk, yes, the piglets would grow more. And nowadays, we have hyperprolific sows, which is great, wonderful, great litter size. What is it doing? It's made the problem even worse. So each piglet in a big litter is actually having less milk than in a smaller litter. Even though the sow is producing more milk, she's not producing enough in terms of increased quantity to make sure that each additional piglet has more milk. So we have a problem. We need to assist the sow. We've done a lot of work in terms of litter size, and now we really need to focus in terms of making sure each piglet has enough milk to have optimal growth. So you're saying that sow productivity has changed. Uh, how long has, have you noticed that this has been going on? 
Well, if you look at uh, milk production, you know, in the past 10 years or so, there's not much increase. But before that, in the 15 years before that, yes, there has been quite a bit of an increase in milk yield. But as I mentioned, uh, because of the increase in litter size, even though sows produced more milk, each piglet was actually ingesting less milk. So it's definitely a challenge, and we need to make sure that we can stimulate the amount of milk produced by the sows to make sure that our piglets have adequate or optimal growth rate. So what strategies are being explored at this time to examine sow milk production and how that impacts the piglets? Well, there's quite a few strategies that have been looked you know, for a while, you know, how to feed the sow in gestation and lactation, which is fine. But the one aspect I'm focusing on, and I've been focusing on for the past 15 years or so, is to stimulate mammary development. Because we know that the number of milk synthesizing cells that are present in mammary tissue at the beginning of lactation will have an impact on the amount of milk produced. It makes a lot of sense. The more milk synthesizing cells are present, the greater the amount of milk that could optimally be produced. But how do we increase or how do we make sure that we can maximize this amount of cells that can secrete milk at the onset of lactation? So nutrition is actually one way to look at it. And another one is hormonal environment. There are two important aspects. And the projects I will talk to you about today are dealing with that. So in one project, I'm looking at nutrition in gestation, in late gestation. Why late gestation? Because during the gestation period, mammary development takes place from 90 days of gestation until farrowing. And it's only during the periods where we do have mammary development that we can do anything to enhance it. There needs to be some development to stimulate it further. If there's no development, so if you try to work with any treatment in early gestation, it will not affect mammary development because there is none. So in my first study, I was looking at the effect of lysine, which is an amino acid, from day 90 of gestation up to partrition to stimulate mammary development. And another project is looking at the hormonal status of the sow during the lactation period and to see how this can stimulate mammary development and milk yield of the sows. So there are the two aspects, nutrition in late gestation and hormonal status of the lactating sow. Chantel, can you explain um, what lysine is and then maybe just go into what role it plays in the physiology of the sow and the development of these cells? Okay, so... Well, lysine is an essential amino acid, so it's really uh, required by, by, by the sow. And what's very interesting is that if you look at the requirement of energy in gestation, it's pretty, cost, pretty constant. Whereas if you look at the amount of protein, which is, uh, you know, lysine is an amino acid, so it's a, it's a protein. So when you look at the amount of protein required, that... It, those requirements increase very drastically in gestation. So lysine requirements increase in gestation, and one of the reasons is because of the mammary development. So if you look at uh, before and after day 70 of gestation, yes, there is a significant increase in lysine requirement. And if you look at specifically mammary growth, 
it accounts for 16.8 or 70% of the SID lysine requirement uh, in the last 12 days of the station. So what I'm saying is lysine is important for memory development, but we do not know how much is needed and if increasing the amount of lysine will in fact stimulate memory development. That has never been done before. In fact, one study uh, recently looked at increasing the amount of uh, lysine intake, so 20.6 grams per day compared to 14.7. And what they've noticed is that there was an increase in growth rate of piglets from the animals receiving more lysine. And they've speculated that this could be due to stimulating uh, stimulation of memory development because they've done that treatment at the end of gestation. So what I've done is I've done the exact same treatment. So 20.6 gram per day of lysine, SID lysine fed to sows from day 90 of gestation up to day 110 of gestation compared to 14.7 gram per day of lysine. And then at day 110, what I've done is I've slaughtered the animals, collected the mammary tissue, and this part is actually done. But now we're starting to look at the... Uh, tissue itself. So we will be dissecting the mammary tissue, removing the fat layer around the mammary tissue, which we call the extra parenchymal tissue, and keeping the good milk synthesizing tissue, the parenchymal tissue. And then we will be able to see, is there a difference? Is there more of this parenchymal tissue in the cells receiving more lysine in late gestation? So I should know that by sometime in the fall, and then we obviously will measure the composition of this tissue and a lot of blood variables in the sow, but it's coming. And sometime in the fall, I will be able to say whether increasing lysine in late gestation does stimulate memory development. In, in fact, this study was done in gilts. So what are the potential implications and how will that information be applied? Well, in fact, it's... Uh, this information will be given to all the feed companies and they will be able to increase, either have a specific, now it's, this is something that's being discussed more and more, to change the feeding at some point in gestation or to add something to the late pregnant diet. So the feeding companies will then be able to work at either something in the diet, changing the type of diet in late gestation so that there is more lysine that would be given or use it as some kind of top dressing at the end of gestation so that there is more lysine. So this information will definitely be you know, uh, provided to all the uh, people involved in uh, you know, nutrition of, uh, of pigs and it could you know, easily be uh, put in the new, you know, management uh, methods of uh, growing gilts to make sure that they have more lysine. Can you explain to us what prolactin is and what role it plays? Well, prolactin is a hormone. Actually, it's a protein hormone, a peptide, and uh, it's very essential in terms of milk yield. So I've done a study where I inhibited prolactin in lactation of sows. I inhibited it either in the first week of lactation, second, third, or fourth week of lactation. And at any of those weeks, if you inhibit prolactin, you inhibit also milk yield. 
So there was no growth of the piglet during that whole week that I inhibited prolactin. So one would definitely think, okay, let's stimulate it and we will stimulate mammary development. And I had done an earlier study quite a few years ago giving injections of prolactin in lactation and it did not increase milk yield. Why is that? Because when I looked at the mammary tissue, in order for a hormone to have an action, it has to bind to a receptor, just like a key has to go in a lock. And all these receptors were already full. All the prolactin receptors on the mammary tissue were already full in a control animal. So sure, I can inject as much prolactin as I want, but it will not have an effect because it doesn't have a place to bind, a receptor to bind to have an effect. So recently, what I've done instead is instead of giving the hormone, I'm giving to the sow a compound, which is something that humans are actually using also. So it's nothing that can be detrimental to us. And that compound makes the animal synthesize more prolactin. So if the animal is itself synthesizing more prolactin, it should be wise enough to also have more of the receptor for that hormone to act. And in that study, which was done through this um, swine cluster program, and that was uh, all finished in the past year, what I've shown is that indeed, if I give this compound to cells in lactation, throughout lactation, I did increase significantly the weight of the piglets at weaning. They weighed 7.75 kilos instead of 7.34. So it's a 0.21 kilogram increase at weaning on the 22. So yes, if the sow has more of that hormone in her circulation that she produced herself, she will produce more milk. When do you expect to be ready to share the results of this work, Chantel? Well, this animal trial is actually, uh, we're only breeding the animals now. So it takes a year to basically get a, a sow trial going and finished. So sometime, uh, sometime at, I'd say right after Christmas, so early 2022, the animal phase of the trial will be finished. But then we will need to do all sorts of measurements. You know, we look at uh, milk composition and so on and so forth. But growth rate of the piglets, I would say a year from now, I will be able to say if uh, growth rate of the piglet was affected to a greater extent with this increase in early or in later lactation. Chantel Farmer is a research scientist in sow lactation biology with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada based in Sherbrooke, Quebec. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of May 10th, 2021. A farm group is applauding the passing of a bill that will help a farmer to sell land to the next generation. Bill C-208 will amend the Income Tax Act, making it more affordable for Canadian producers to sell their farms to a family member instead of selling to a stranger. APAS President Ton Lewis says 95% of farmers in Saskatchewan are family-owned and operated, with many growers approaching retirement. Walmart Canada is now sourcing beef from CRSB certified farms and ranches. Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef says Walmart is the first retailer to make an on-packed claim bearing the CRSB logo. The label means at least 30% of the beef in their Your Fresh Market beef patties are sourced from certified farms and ranches and tracked through the supply chain.
WA Grain and Pulse Solutions has been placed into receivership. Court-ordered receiver BDO Canada will manage business operations. The Canadian Grain Commission said new licenses have been issued to WA Grain so the receiver can sell grain inventory on the condition the proceeds of the sale are placed in a trust account to satisfy producers who are owed money. It's estimated 100 to 120 Saskatchewan and Alberta producers have been affected. CGC has been advising farmers that may be owed money to contact the commission immediately. The Canadian Cattlemen's Association and the Nature Conservancy of Canada recently held a virtual conversation series on the role grazing livestock can play in providing nutritious and nature-positive solutions for Canada. The CCA's Lauren Martin said cows play an important role as they're upcyclers as they eat grass and turn it into a dense protein. She said CCA is concerned about some of the UN Food System Summit policies regarding the reduction of red meat consumption in developed countries. Martin says the recent conversation was a good first step, but noted that more collaboration is needed. The next time a major agribusiness is looking for a location for a processing facility, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan will have a detailed blueprint for them to examine. Project Blue Ribbon provides a good starting point for companies who like to have a range of choices but need to narrow selections quickly. The 80-page report provides examples in the RMs of Corman Park, Blucher and Vanskoy. Alex Fallon is president and CEO of the Saskatoon Regional Economic Development Authority. Among the important must-have items for food processing or packaging companies are good rail links and reasonable utility costs. The Saskatchewan government announced four new trade offices. They will be located in London, Dubai, Mexico City and Ho Chi Minh City. Agriculture Minister David Merritt says the trade offices will help farmers expand and diversify agriculture markets. The provincial government announced last year that it would also set up trade offices in Singapore, Japan and India. The Flax Council of Canada is looking for new members. The recently revamped FCC has developed a new business plan focused on market access activities and is encouraging new memberships. Chair Erwin Hanley said the council sees the potential for the growth in demand by customers, livestock and industrial sectors for flax and the new memberships will support the resources. The council will work on market access issues, creating barriers to trade. Removing trade barriers often requires education of government officials and consumers. Flax Canada is now located in Saskatoon with Wayne Thompson serving as chief executive officer. G3 Canada is continuing its commitment to the Be Grain Safe program. G3 will provide $45,000 to the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association. In the past, G3 has purchased grain rescue gear for several rural fire departments in Saskatchewan and Alberta and will be making similar donations this year in Manitoba. CASA's grain safety program, Be Grain Safe, highlights the dangers of moving grain through awareness events and provides training to firefighters on grain entrapment rescue. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. AgriPod was brought to you by Smart Nutrition Map plus MST. Soil is your most powerful machine. 
The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.